Welcome to FedScoop's podcast series on IT modernization in government, underwritten this week by Forge Rock. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and in today's episode, we're talking about how the U.S. government's Federal Identity, Credential, and Access Management, or FICAM, policy will help agencies to improve security and improve user experience, as well as lower their operating costs. Here to talk with us today about that policy and ways agencies can take fuller advantage of it is Ashley Stevenson. Ashley was formerly chief architect for ICAM at the Department of Homeland Security and currently serves as vice president for product and solution marketing at Fordrock. He has more than 15 years of experience in enterprise scale solutions focused on identity, information security, cloud infrastructure, and multi-tenant IT service management and brings a lot to today's discussion. Ashley, welcome to the program. Well, thanks so much, Wyatt. It's great to be here. Terrific. So let's just set the stage. The FICAM policy memo released by the White House Office of Management and Budget last May was considered a pretty groundbreaking directive. It laid out clear support and authority for agencies really to establish a more modern approach to protecting the government's digital resources and specifically around the use of identity and access management. And it made clear that all agency leaders are accountable to ensure sure their agency's ICAM policies meet certain requirements. So, Ashley, let me start. Can you give our listeners kind of an overall picture of what agency leaders are now actually accountable to uphold? Sure. And, you know, it's interesting, right? These policy documents, they end up having a lot of sort of nitty gritty details on what the stakeholders are expected to implement. But if you really kind of summarize it, and if you look at the memo in the first couple of pages, the word modernize is really in there. And these stakeholders, they need to modernize their environment. And what does that mean, right? So they have to shift from static security models to more dynamic security models that are working in real time around identity risk assessment. And so in the end, they're required to maintain security, but also ensuring accessibility and interoperability to provide the right experience to the right people at the right time. And so looking at the next level of detail, I'd say let's talk about PIV for a minute. So personal identity verification, these are the smart cards that are used in federal civilian. Before them were the CAT cards or the common access cards in defense side. But really, the memo says, hey, you still have to use PIV. We made a big investment in PIV, so continue using it. But you can now look at using derived PIV. You can diversify. You can look at other types of authenticators where it makes sense, right? And so it really allows for more common sense, and it, it also aligns with the latest NIST release, uh, 63-3, that allows things to be more modern and more dynamic in terms of risks in real time. And so one of the ways that we get to that versus kind of where we were with PIV and HSPD-12, I like to talk about this idea of a chain of trust. So if you think of a chain of evidence, right, when it's reviewed in court, the people who are reviewing it and trusting in it, they weren't actually on the scene when it was collected, but there was a process to keep that chain of evidence, you know, authentic and trustworthy. And similarly, if you're doing a strong authentication with a smart card or with another two-factor credential, you can build up that chain of trust so that you can use that once and then you could affect single sign-on into other areas. And every single application doesn't have to be what we would call PIV-enabled. So this memo really provides some more support for that. And then the last thing I'd say is that these stakeholders, they're required to do this for a lot of their stakeholders. I mean, it's for the federal workforce, which includes employees, contractors, and partners, so the internal facing, but also for all of the different citizens who are interacting with their public facing services. 
Well, what would you say are some of the benefits that agencies can now expect establishing a more comprehensive ICAM approach to security? Yeah, I'd say that probably the biggest single benefit is an increase in flexibility for agencies, right? So now they can have more choice in the types of authenticators they use, the types of identity standards that they can implement. So in other words, they're not just required to use PIV and PKI alone, right? And so they can base their decisions on what type of user, the risk level of the application itself, and also the the real-time risk of whatever's going on in the real world with that user. A couple of other things I'd say they do have improved security from doing this because even though the smart card credential is a very highly trusted credential, it is just a credential. And, you know, strong authentication based on a strong credential is just the first step. Authorization and being able to understand what someone's allowed to do, not only based on how much we trust their authentication, but what what are they entitled to do and not do? And that can change from time to time based on how they're acting and other things that are happening. So again, that also supports that more dynamic risk capability. And then, you know, the last point I'll make on this is really, it does lead to a reduction of cost and complexity in the environment over time. Well, in addition to some of the internal benefits agencies could expect, how would you say that citizens and stakeholders are also likely to benefit from a standardized ICAM approach? So then we look at the other side of the coin, right? And identity is a lot about the balance between security and experience. And so I, I mentioned some of the security benefits uh, uh, for, for agencies and also flexibility. But when it comes to being the user on the other end, whether you're a federal employee or a contractor or whether you're a citizen accessing services – you get better user experience, right? Because citizens don't have PIV cards, obviously. Not all of them have two-factor authentication. And so there are other ways to make sure that their experience is secured without compromising security itself, right? So that's where this is going to allow the agencies to provide that better, more modern experience as we talked about, but without sacrificing the security. So if you're the right person, it's really easy. And if you're the wrong person, it's, it's really hard or impossible. Two other things quickly, you can increase your workforce productivity um, when you're doing this, uh, i.e. single sign-on, not having to use your PIV card for every application. And then with citizens, you can basically improve government citizen relations by providing these modern online services that they're more used to and using things like Amazon and Google and Apple. Well, let's talk about maybe some practical examples. Can you share where you've seen government agencies benefiting from federating their interagency identity and authentication solutions? Sure. So let me give a couple of examples here, starting with the state and local level. So the state of Utah is a Fordrock customer, and they have been able to consolidate onto our central platform about 900 different applications and services, some of them migrating from other legacy identity systems, some of them onboarding for the first time, and really centralize that, whether that's from a, a citizen increased experience of being able to access multiple services without having to manage separate accounts and passwords, or whether that's on the internal management side, not having to try to manage a bunch of different identity systems with different contracts and different support. You know, they're realizing benefits there and they're estimating that it's going to lead to approximately 15 million in savings just from what they've done so far. So that's one example. Uh, Another interesting one inside the federal government around federation is something that uh, I was a part of when I was still at DHS. And I think it's really interesting and kind of fun. So, you know, you have DHS, which is an organization made up of a lot of other smaller organizations that were put together after 
after uh, September 11th. So you've got everything from the Secret Service to the Coast Guard to Customs and Border Patrol to Citizenship and Immigration Services and more. And so everyone in DHS uses a time tracking system. You have to enter your hours each week. And that system is actually hosted and provided by the National Finance Center. Now, that system itself is protected by another shared service in the government provided by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, and they will protect that timekeeping system with a different identity provider's uh, single sign-on application. Now, inside of DHS, each of those components, i.e. Coast Guard or Citizenship and Immigration Services, is federated up to sort of the top DHS level, right? And so you've got two levels of federation going on here. So we established the setup so that if you're at any one of those components within DHS and you log in with your PIV card to your Windows workstation at Citizenship and Immigration Services, you're actually able to then single sign on all the way over into your timekeeping app, which is protected by a second party. So it's two hops of federation and you're keeping that chain of trust from the smart card, but you're also having that great experience of not having to use it again and not caring that there's a bunch of things behind the scenes that are going on to make it work. So that was an interesting example of kind of where this memo is going, is being able to do those types of things, maintaining the right level of security, but also increasing that experience. Those are some great examples. For those agencies that are currently in the process of federating an identity and authentication solution across their platforms, what pitfalls might you suggest they try to avoid? Sure. Well, I'll talk about two of them here. One is limiting point solutions, and I'll explain that. And the second one is inflexible deployment or consumption options. So let's just dive into that for a minute. Limiting point solutions. What do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about one example. Let's talk about a modern only solution. So this would be a quick tactical fix. You've got an application that you want to protect, and there's this great born in the cloud single sign-on service where you can allow your users to perform an outbound single sign-on from your agency or your state out into some public cloud services. Oh, that's great. It's easy to implement. But then that becomes just another vendor in a series of vendors because those types of point solutions, even though they're modern, they don't integrate and help protect your legacy environments, right? So then you've got some legacy-only solutions, and they might have taken years to implement, and they're covering some of your existing applications, but you say, well, maybe I could take that and try to protect my new modern application. But the problem there is they're closed or proprietary, and or they have poor API integration, not standard integration, and, and no SDKs, let's say. And then the third one is you may have some very large vendors out there where they do a lot of different things, and they also do identity as sort of an add-on, and they may even offer it for free. But you know what happens there is that every single application, every single user base, identity becomes a very, uh, very customized thing to make sure that you can do it the way you need for that application, that user base. And many times, those large vendors with the add-ons, they don't support that level of flexibility and customization. So, so those are the things to look for in the point solutions, and then inflexible deployment or consumption options. You know, these days, agencies want to consume things as a service from the cloud, and they do. But the reality is they also may have some things deployed in Azure or AWS or GCP, and they may also have some things on-premise in their own data centers. And so more and more agencies and large enterprises are looking for a strategic identity capability where it can cover all of those deployment options. So those are some things I'd, I'd look out for when looking for anything new in the identity system. Well, finally, Ashley, what critical features at the end of the day would you recommend that agencies really keep in mind as they're looking to acquire, adopt, or expand a centralized IAM solution? 
Absolutely. So here's a quick list of four, right? Number one, look for something that provides and uses open standards, because that's going to allow you to most easily integrate with other systems and to not get stuck in vendor lock-in. Related to that, look for a mature identity system that is API first and has modern APIs so that as you're looking at identity more strategically, you actually have more of an identity fabric where everything is an API call using open standards, and then you don't have the problems integrating. So those are the first two. Next, look for strong support for both legacy and modern systems in a single solution so that you don't have to try to fragment and have all different types of vendors and solutions. And finally, look for that cloud flexibility. You are going to have things that you want to just set up to do completely as a service, but you're going to have things where you need to install some things locally or you need to have it in private clouds. Look for that flexibility of deployment options and cloud capabilities. That's a great checklist. Appreciate all the different things you shared today. Wish we could spend more time, but Ashley Stevenson, thanks so much for joining us to talk about the government's efforts to put identity and authentication at the center of their security efforts. And thanks to Forge Rock for underwriting today's episode. Look for more of our coverage of IT modernization in government on fedscoop.com and our FedScoop radio channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is Wyatt Cash, your host. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. 